It's good to be together as we enter this new season of Advent. Now, Advent is a season of anticipation and waiting for the arrival of Jesus. It is marked by hope and by joy, as well as longing and desire. Throughout the emotional heights and depths of this season, it is perhaps most noticeably marked by patience as we wait and watch. And so as we enter this season together, I want to ask you a question. How do you respond to good news? How do you respond to receiving good news? Maybe it's the news that you got that job or that you made it into that school or that your child got that job and made it into that school. Or maybe it's the news that she said yes. Now you anticipate sharing that new life together. Maybe it's the news that you're pregnant, and now you prepare to welcome a new life into the world, right? We could go on with all different kinds of good news that we experience in our lives. How do you respond to good news? Do you immediately start making plans in preparation of, of what is promised to come? Or do you doubt it? Maybe you start troubleshooting because you know that it inevitably won't come through. Do you run and tell someone about this good news? Or do you keep it to yourself? How do you respond to good news? What do you do when you know this good news and now you're waiting for it? Well, 30 years ago, there's a song that came out that we hear often around this time of year that asks a similar question. Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know, right? You know the song, don't you? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? That this child that you've delivered will soon deliver you? Mary, did you know? It's a powerful song as it invites us to contemplate this question. But, you know, Mary may not have known all the details of everything, but there actually is a very short answer to all of these questions. Yes, Mary knew. Mary knew. In fact, Mary was the first one to know. We just sang about it, right? Gabriel came and told her this good news. And how did she respond? How did she respond? Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 will begin in verse 26 in a little bit. And as we enter this Advent season of waiting, 
There is much that we can learn from Mary. There is so much that we can learn from Mary. She was the first one to hear this good news. And she is the one who had to wait for it the longest. And so as we enter this Advent season of waiting, over the next few months, we're going to consider the angel's annunciation to Mary, this great announcement to her, and her responses. Because we, too, are people who have heard good news. And now we are a people who are waiting for that good news to come to fruition along with Mary. So let's read together Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin whose name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of seasons, for the opportunity to enter once more into the great story of who you are and what you have done among us. God, I pray that as we reflect on the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in these verses, Mary is met and greeted by the angel Gabriel, who offers her this sort of blessing. The Lord is with you. And how does she respond to what Gabriel says? I mean, perhaps we would expect something pious and prayerful. Or maybe we would expect some kind of ecstatic response filled with joy and wonder. But verse 29 tells us Mary's first response. And it says Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Troubled and wondering. That's how Mary first responds to this. Why? Why is she troubled? What is she wondering about? Well, let's back up and consider what it is that Luke tells us in his narrative and what it is that Gabriel is actually saying to Mary. Then we might understand a little bit more as we wait with Mary. So if we back up to verse 26, Luke sets the stage for us by telling us when, where, and who. Right? When, where, and who. 
uh, is part of this story. So first, the when. It begins in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And so this recalls the story that he has just told in the first part of Luke chapter 1, uh, where Gabriel arrives and makes another important announcement. In the previous story, Gabriel meets Zechariah, who is this priest in the temple in Jerusalem while he's burning incense and the people are worshiping. Right? This is what happens in the first part of Luke chapter 1. Now, if there were ever a time to expect some kind of angelic appearance, these are the exact circumstances that you would expect it. That, that, those circumstances with Zechariah in the temple with the people worshiping, right? It is a holy place with holy people doing holy things, right? I mean, the temple, a priest, and worship— these are the perfect circumstances for a divine encounter. That's the scene in this first part of the chapter. But the circumstances that follow in the next part, the part that we just read, could hardly be more different. So next, Luke tells us where this is taking place. He says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee. So Galilee is this region up in northern Israel. And it's not really a place where you expect much of anything to happen. I mean, all of the real action has happened down south in the region called Judea. That's the region where Abraham journeyed to. That's the area where Isaac grew up. That's where Jacob had his famous dream of angels ascending and descending from heaven. That's where the Israelites crossed over into the promised land. It's where David grew up. And it's where the great city of Jerusalem and its temple were built. Right? If something important is going to happen, you can expect it to happen in Judea. Right? That's where the stuff happens. Just like in our culture, every movie is set in New York City, right? That's where everything happens. Well, in, in this time, everything happened in Jerusalem. Everything happened in Judea. That's where you expect. And yet, when Gabriel comes to announce the coming of the Messiah, that's not where he goes. He goes to Galilee. And not just Galilee, but Nazareth. This little town in Galilee. Now, archaeologists have determined that the location of where, where Nazareth was had been settled as early as the Middle Bronze and Iron Age, which is somewhere around 1 and 2,000 years before the events of the Gospel of Luke. So, so there had been people living in this area for a long time, right? And despite its lengthy history of having some population of people there, Nazareth, and even just the general location where it, is, where it is, are not mentioned until the New Testament. Here in the Gospels is the very first time we hear anything about this place called Nazareth. And so Galilee was this far-off region in the north, and Nazareth was this unknown town in that far-off region in the north. 
And so I want you to just imagine this for a moment. Think of a town that you've never heard of before. Wait, you can't, because you've never heard of it, right? That's what Nazareth is. It's a place no one had ever heard of. And so no one would ever think of it or imagine it at all. Now, for those who had heard of Nazareth, it was not all that well thought of. This is known from Nathaniel's response in the Gospel of John when he hears about this guy who's come from Nazareth. And what does he say? He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? And so Nazareth is a nowhere, no good place. Unlike Jerusalem, it's the last place you would have expected to have a divine encounter. It is the epitome of ordinary. It's just an ordinary, run-of-the-mill small town in a far-off place. And yet this is where Gabriel comes. Now, after the when and the where, Luke gives us one more detail. Who? He says, Gabriel came to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So if Nazareth in its day was understood to be nowhere, Mary would have been understood as no one. She was a nobody. She was a, a young woman who was pledged to be married, which in the culture of her day would mean that she could have been as young as 13 years old. She was a little girl in a little town. She was a no one in the middle of nowhere. But she was about to become someone. She was about to become someone, not because of the angel. No one ever suspected that. She was about to become someone because she was pledged to be married, right? She was pledged to be married, and not just to anyone, but to a man from the house of David. Now, that doesn't mean that she's about to become a princess or a queen or something. There are plenty of descendants from David around. But nonetheless, this is a respectable marriage, right? This is a respectable family she's about to become a part of. And it was right there in her future, this sort of security, this respect, this, this thing that, that had been planned out for her. She had things planned out. She didn't have to worry about what was coming. She had the security of a home and provision as she anticipated this day of her marriage that was on the horizon. But all of these plans were interrupted with the words, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And it was these words that led Mary to being greatly troubled and wondering. And so what exactly did Gabriel say? What do these words hold? At first glance, it just kind of looks like a friendly greeting, right? And then a word of blessing. But if we look a little bit closer, I think we're going to find a few more layers 
of meaning and what it is that Gabriel is saying as he announces this to Mary. Verse 28 says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings. Greetings. Now, the Greek word here can be used as a general greeting, but it's actually only translated as a greeting six out of the 74 times that it occurs in the New Testament. Almost every other time, it is a word of joy. It's a word that most often is translated rejoice, be glad. You know, if you think of the old uh, kind of King James version, hail, right, is, is what it reads here. Rejoice, be glad. Furthermore, this Greek word occurs 39 times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And again, almost every time, it is a word of rejoicing. Rejoice, be glad. That's what this word is. So, for example, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, not to be confused with the priest Zechariah in the first part of Luke chapter 1, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. In Zechariah 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. That word rejoice in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this is the same word that Gabriel speaks to Mary. Another example, Zephaniah chapter 3, sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. So each of these begins with the same Greek word that comes from Gabriel's mouth in our text. So it's much less like a casual greeting and more like a command to rejoice, be glad. But there's even more. There's even more here, right? They not only begin with the same word, these Old Testament texts and what Gabriel says here, they also continue in the same form. There's rejoice, an address, and then a promise. There's the, the command to rejoice, an address, and then a promise of presence. Look again, back up here in the Zechariah passage. Rejoice greatly. And then an address, daughter Zion. And then there's this promise. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. Once more, the same pattern in Zephaniah. Sing, daughter Zion. Be glad and rejoice, daughter Jerusalem. There's this rejoicing and then an address. And then there's the promise. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. And so following that same pattern, Gabriel says to Mary, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. 
rejoice, an address, and a promise. So the command is rejoice. The address is favored one. I love this, right? Instead of calling her by name, Gabriel gives her a new name, favored one. Gabriel gives her a new name, just like God gave a new name to Abram and Sarai, and calling them Abraham and Sarah. Just like later on, Jesus would give a new name to Simon, who would be called Peter. Gabriel comes and gives Mary a nickname, favored one. And then there's the promise of presence. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And so with the echoes from the prophets, the, the utterance of this new name, which is often given to someone when they're being called into something, and then the particular words of this promise, the Lord is with you. Gabriel's words here become far more than a casual greeting or even a command to rejoice. These words are a prophetic invitation. A prophetic invitation. One scholar puts it this way. Some of the greatest leaders in Israel's history are greeted with this message, the Lord is with you. For example, when God appears to Jacob and confirms the covenant blessing entrusted to him, he says in Genesis 28, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that of which I have spoken to you. Similarly, when God calls Moses at the burning bush to lead the people out of Egypt in Exodus chapter 3, he says, I will be with you. Before Joshua leads the people into battle in the promised land, God says, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Whenever an angel calls Gideon to defend the people from a foreign invasion, he greets Gideon by saying in Judges chapter 6, The Lord is with you. When God puts David at the head of an everlasting kingdom, God reminds David of his faithfulness to him in 2 Samuel chapter 7 by saying, I have been with you wherever you went. And when God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations, he says in Jeremiah chapter 1, Be not afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. And so from Moses to Jeremiah, the pattern is clear. The Lord is with you, signals that someone is being called to a great mission that will be difficult and will be demanding, often with the destiny of God's people at stake. And so in the same way that God has called Abraham, Moses, David, and the prophets of old, God calls Mary. This 
no one from nowhere. Gabriel's words in verse 28 are a prophetic call for Mary to partner with God and become a crucial part of God's mission in the world. And so how does Mary respond to such a thing? Well, she is greatly troubled. And she wonders what kind of greeting this might be. Wouldn't you be greatly troubled if God showed up and said, hey, you know what I did with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and, and David and, and Gideon and Jeremiah and Isaiah and on and on and on. I need you. You're the next one in line. Are you ready? Wouldn't you be a little troubled and wonder what kind of greeting is this? What is it that you're calling me to? Well, we'll get to that next week as we continue through the passage. But for now, I want to consider briefly this initial response from Mary. Troubled and wondering shows us two things. The good news is meant to trouble us. And this good news is meant, it's meant to trouble us and it's worth wondering about. This good news is meant to trouble us and it is worth wondering about, right? Gabriel's annunciation came to the no good nowhere of Nazareth and disrupted the security and the plans of Mary's life. And so I wonder with us here, what are the no good nowheres of your life? What are the moments that seem utterly ordinary, almost meaningless? What are the moments that feel downright despicable, painful places in our lives? You see, the good news breaks into the boring and unbearable parts of our lives to say that something good might even come from Nazareth. Where are the lifeless places in your life that God might bring hope to? What are the painful places in the world that God longs to redeem. Advent calls us to consider these things because these are the things, these ordinary, boring, unbearable, painful places that God is coming to trouble. He's coming to disrupt these things with good news. Now, this next question might be a bit more difficult for us, but no less necessary. Because Mary was pledged to be married with a predictable, secure life ahead of her. And yet, Gabriel comes and disrupts that. And so I wonder, what are the plans that you have 
for your life. The things you have in place, nice and orderly, you're expecting them to go along just as they are. What are the things that you find your comfort and security in? Because just as Mary was greatly troubled at this good news, we should be too. Because partnering with God in his mission in the world leads to all kinds of unpredictable things. This is why later on in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus will say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. It is unpredictable and costly to be troubled by this good news, but it is so worth it. Which is why Mary didn't stop at being greatly troubled, but she went on to wonder about it. Wondering, what kind of greeting is this? The Greek word for wonder is the word dialogizomai. It's where we get our word dialogue. And so what it says here is that Mary is sitting there. She doesn't recoil, though she's troubled. She doesn't recoil and say, no, not me. I'm out. But she has this inner dialogue. She wonders, hmm, what might this be? You see, the good news is meant to trouble us, but it is also meant to lead us to a place of curiosity and wonder. To ponder this good news, to consider what all it might be and hold. And so as we enter into this season, I want you to consider what are the ways that your life needs to be troubled by the good news of Jesus? But also, what are the ways that this good news moves you to wonder and awe, to have that inner dialogue of considering what it is that God is up to in the world? How do you respond to this good news? May we be troubled and moved to wonder, just like Mary. Amen.